We serve a God of abundance, yet you're still living paycheck to paycheck. We serve a God of order, yet your house always seems to be a mess. You feel unappreciated and overwhelmed just trying to keep up. Does the noise of life drown out the voice of God? Hi, my name is Gina Morton, a Catholic wife, mom, and declutter coach. Welcome to Pruning to Prosper, the podcast where we talk about all the practical things to run your home smoothly. Clutter, money, mindset, and yes, everyone still wants to eat. So we'll talk about that too. That nagging in your heart is God telling you he has more for you than just trying to keep up. If you're ready to get uncomfortable, get brave, and see what you can do, then grab your garden shears because you're about to prune away the stuff so you can prosper into the woman God has called you. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Pruning to Prosper. I'm your host, Gina Morton, and on today's episode, we have a very special guest. You guys know I don't do a lot of interviews, so I'm very happy to introduce you to Sam Fatsinger today. She is the co-author. She wrote a book with her husband called A Catholic Guide to Spending Less and Living More. Um, it's advice from a debt-free family of 16. So Sam, thank you so much for coming and welcome to Pruning to Prosper. Thank you. This is exciting. I love it. Yeah. So Sam had asked me, like, how did I hear you? So I have to tell you the story of how I um, I found you, I guess. So part of my podcast I have little rosary groups or I do courses and things like that. And women sign up for that. And we get talking and that's how we kind of build the community. And someone recommended many Hail Marys at a time on Instagram. So I always like to try to follow up and listen to whatever my listeners are interested in. So I was walking the dog one day and I, what time does she start? 7.45 AM. She goes live with the rosary. Uh, yes, but I'm East Coast, so it was... Okay, yeah, me too. <laughs> so I was walking the dog, and it had been a few days since I first heard about her rosary group, and I thought, oh, you know what? Let me let me tune in, because it was 7.45 on the dot. And I'm on my phone, and I'm on Instagram, and I'm clicking on her things, and other windows are popping up, and I didn't have my my glasses, and I couldn't see what was going on, and it's taking me different places, and I was just really frustrated, so I just ended it. But I I feel like the Holy Spirit was like, Gina, you need to get on today. You need to get on today. And so I kept trying again from my phone on the walk, and it just wasn't working. And I'm getting increasingly more frustrated. So then I thought, you know what? I'm going to cut the walk short. I'm going to go home and figure this out on my computer. So what really happens, if you guys are ever interested in listening to many Hail Marys at a time, she does a live rosary every day at 7.45 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. But it, what it actually does is it takes you to a link on YouTube. So what I finally got it all hooked up when you were maybe on the last decade of the rosary. But you were the special guest that day. And I didn't know who you were. I didn't understand how the platform worked. I didn't know how she got guests, if you were just like a, a listener that she pulled out of the crowd that day, I had no clue. And then I thought when the Rosie was over, that was going to be the end of it. And I, by this time I'm out like gardening and working in the, on the patio. And then she started talking to you, like she knew who you were. And so I didn't know that you were like famous or whatever. 
<laughs> so, I am. <laughs> yeah, I mean, compared to, to me. Um, so I started listening to your story and I was just like, oh my gosh, this woman, you are speaking my language. Everything you talked about on that, that YouTube or whatever her platform was that day is everything I talk about on this podcast. So my whole podcast is really the practical things that women do to free up their lives to do God's will. And I think, so I talk about meal planning and decluttering and budgeting and the mindset of a Catholic woman, all because I feel like so many times people, they can't truly follow God's will because they have these practical earthly like shackles, if you will, you know, of debt and stuff. So that's why when I heard you, I thought I have to have her on my show. So thank you so much for taking the time today. Why don't you, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your family and how you came to write this book? So uh, it's actually funny that you found me on um, the Hail Mary rosary link because I didn't know about it either and she does ask people I think she asked me like six months ago (laughs) and I was like okay just you know make sure you remind me but literally like the day before I was like oh my gosh how does this work and do I just say the rosary and and so I thought once the rosary was over I was done and then she's like I and she hadn't known I don't know why they asked me she didn't know a lot about my backstory either so she was like oh you wrote this book and and so then she started asking me questions and I, I, I started crying at one point and I am, I'm a crier, but not publicly. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, you caught me off guard. So I started talking about my son and my grandson who is handicapped. And I just, I was like, I am on YouTube and I am crying my eyes out. <laughs> but it was definitely the Holy Spirit and it's really a gift to get to, you know, talk with her. But I do, I too was so unsure of what this was and I wasn't didn't know it was going to be a, I don't even know. She was actually, I don't think they do interviews, but she was like, you know what? I'm just curious. Let me ask you some questions. Uh, so that was interesting. Um, uh, I am the mother of 14 children and uh, 12 of which I gave birth to. And when the youngest, and we have, am I freezing up on your screen? Um, yeah, but I can still hear you. Okay, that's why. Yeah. And um, number 13, we call him Lucky 13. We actually were kind of fostering him when mm-hmm. he was 12 weeks old. We were supposed to take care of him while his mom got situated. He was in like a Gabriel Network home as a newborn. And um, his mom had had a rough life herself. So we were taking care of him. And literally within a month, we knew that he was he was he had to be ours we had to, we knew his mom was incapable of taking care of him but it took us four years to finally persuade her to adopt to let us adopt him and we actually had to take her to court to get that. so we adopted ray and he's going to be 12 <laughs> next that was week. my next question was how well, old is he now? 12 next week so when and Ray was be another one after him then. Yes. And so <laughs> as if we that wasn't enough. Uh the, my older children were always like, Mom, we want another baby. Mom, when we need a new baby. And uh I actually had had two miscarriages. Uh, one was a late term miscarriage um at 
almost five months. And that was really, really hard. And then after a year or two, we got Bradley at three days old and his mom and dad were unable to take care of him. They were um, both in jail and Bradley was actually born from jail to the hospital type of thing. So he was three days old when we got him and he, he is seven and we actually just took his uh, parents to court to get legal custody of him. So we only have custody of him. He thinks he's, he thinks he's adopted. He doesn't understand the whole custody thing, but um, so in the future, we hope to be able to legally adopt him. But right now we've had him for seven and a half years. So Bradley was getting older and I was starting to sleep and I, you know, I'm a very, um, uh, I'll say, I'll say gregarious instead of obnoxious, but I'm a very pushy broad, as my husband says. And, um, I always feel like the need to do something and, you know, I'm, I'm very active in my parish and I very active in our homeschool group. So I kind of said to God one day, you know, Lord, what is it you're asking me to do? Like, I'm not pregnant. I'm not nursing. I actually have, you know, a whole hour of, of <laughs> A day that I'm like, okay, Lord, what do you want to do? Is it podcasting? Is it starting, you know, doing doing anything like that? And um, I just kind of put it out there. And I was looking on Facebook for something. I was sending somebody a message. And there's a button on your messenger on Facebook for people who know how to use that. And somehow it had a link to all these messages from people who I weren't friends with. And one of them was from Ave Maria Press. And they had read an article that was in the Washington Post about Rob and I sending our kids to college debt free. And that intrigued them that this family was actually living in a very expensive area in Washington metropolitan area and living debt free. So she's like, hey, this is Ave Maria Press. We were wondering if you guys wanted to talk about doing a book. And I was like, what? So of course I like pushed the button and I called her. I'm like, hi, this, you know, you, you messaged me like a year ago. Uh, are you still interested? And she was like, yeah. And I talked to my husband and he was like, you can do whatever you want. Like I am the most extreme extrovert in the world and he is the most extreme introvert in the world. <laughs> so we balance each other out. And he's like, you can do whatever you want. I'm not writing a book, but if you want to write a book, go right ahead. So of course, because he is the you know the banker and the financer and all does all the charts and the money, I just don't spend money and he figures it all out. So of course he needed to help me because I don't even know what bank we go to and I don't know what you know how did you you know pay the house off and how did you retire early all these questions. So I would he he tells people I write like I talk. So I would write for like an hour. And then I would give it to him and he would have to spend three hours fixing what I said. <laughs> so he actually wrote the book. And yeah. <laughs> uh, so he got, you know, stuck helping me do this. And it was really great working with an editor because we were writers and he, they were very patient with us. Um, and so the, this book cut became, you know, kind of popular in the beginning because it COVID hit a week after we signed the contract with Ave Maria Press. So the world was kind of in shock and, you know, everything happening and people losing jobs and, you know, the unrest and unknown, what the unknown 
of the future of our country. So people were thinking twice about buying a new car or getting into debt or, you know, all the things that you do, trying to eat inexpensively and, you know, trying to budget better. So that's kind of how we got on the, um, the market. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that, these are all things I love talking about and that I, I advocate for, um, for my listeners is to be debt free. Um, like in your book, you do talk about that. This was kind of your plan from the very beginning of your marriage that you were going to have a debt-free lifestyle and buy a house and retire early. Um, what, and you also, you talk about your engagement with Rob and when he proposed and you said, you know, you'd like to have 10 kids and stuff like that. So I think just from my listeners and from me, it's like, how, I know the answer is with God, but the like the day-to-day, -day, how did you guys set out to begin saving? And one of the big, I, so I do budget coaching is one of the things I do um, as, as my job. And one of the big problems is how do you get your spouse on board? So maybe we can start with that. Like how, how did you and Rob get on the same page? Okay, so the good, Rob will tell people, uh, the good thing is I was raised by, I'm the youngest of nine, mm -hmm. and I was raised by a very frugal family because, you know, my, so I'm the youngest, but my parents were always much older, and, you know, they were raised by people who grew up during the Depression, so, so I tell people I'm 55, but my parents were actually the ages of most of my friends' grandparents, so I, even as a teenager being raised in a traditional uh, family with old rules. I didn't like it. But as an adult, I was like, thank God I was raised the way I was. And, um, and I had, you know, a mom and dad who, you know, never spent frugal, you know, they were very frugal, never spent unwisely. You always live within your means, which is unheard of nowadays. You know, there was no such thing as college debt back then because, you you know went to community college or you went to state schools and to be honest with you um again i'm 55 so i graduated from high school in 1986 and back in the day you would go you would you live within your means and you would go to the college that was most reasonable but you would get a four-year degree and as a mom of my ninth child graduating from college right now the four-year degree is ridiculous because not only do you have to get a four-year degree, but then you got to get a master's and you have to get, uh, or your CPA, or you have to go to get, you know, this other thing. They're just piling it on and your people are getting in debt on top of debt. And it's ridiculous. I, thankfully, we have, we used to have a really great community college. Uh, I think after COVID, they just went totally woke and, it's not as great as it used to be, but we, my kids graduate, we homeschool them all during uh, school, all for everything until they go to college. And they would go, they would graduate early because our county has really low um, graduation credits to graduate. So they graduate at 16 or 17 and then they would go to community college for two years and then they would go to a state school. So that's how we, uh, you know, every family needs to do what works for them, but that's how our kids were graduating debt-free. And I had two daughters who had, our social workers who had to have a master's 
to practice social work in the state of Maryland. And they did it through a program uh, that it was a free program to get their master's. They just had to work for the state for two or three years. And yeah. it, it, so there's ways of doing this, but I have a son who's a, he's called this, the, our son who's a doctor, but he's a um, um, therapist. And he ha he is going to be in debt. He and his wife, the only thing he got out of his PT school was a wife. And both of them are in so much debt. And they rethink that on a daily basis. Yeah, how much money that I mean, they make really great money, but it—they're not so sure it was worth it because it's so hard. But there are so many um, alternative ways, and we have been very blessed. You know, of course, when we were having kids, we wanted them to like go to Steubenville or Christendom or Abbe, you know, all these great Catholic colleges, and they're so expensive and. Our kids had to pay for their own school. So of course they opted for the state school and we were very grateful, <clears throat> particularly particularly University of Maryland has a wonderful Catholic Student Center and FOCUS is an amazing program that my kids have reaped so much graces from, uh, from colleges. So they have a community, a nice faithful community. Uh, I will say, you know, I, I have so many amazing friends that go to these great their kids go to these great Catholic colleges and somehow they work it out and, you know, they, they love it. And, you know, of course we have so many friends in the area who go to Steubenville and so it's wonderful, but our kids have always so far, <laughs> the first nine um, have done state schools. Yeah. So they did two years at community college and then how many years at state school? Two. two, more. two yeah. more. And, then, and then how did they, how did they pay for that? What were some of the things they did to to earn, you know, a debt-free degree? Right. So the nice thing, too, about being homeschooled is you're home during the day where most kids are in school all day, mm -hmm. and they don't have homework. So a lot of my kids' friends who are going to these private schools were gone 9 to 12 hours a day because of sports or were, came home after 9 hours a day and had you know, 2 or 3 hours of homework. Our kids have all been homeschooled and they would get, some of them had babysitting jobs on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We have a homeschool tutorial on Tuesday and Thursday that they go to. Uh, dog walking, you know, last minute babysitting for the lady who needs to run errands in the middle of the day and there's nobody home. So the homeschool kids get all these great jobs. Another daughter, uh, they work full time in the summer and they save their money. And another daughter worked at like a day, like a gym on Monday, Wednesday, Friday in the nursery. And so, and, you know, other kids have worked like the, the greeter at a gym so they can actually do homework and, you know, check in people at the gym. So they've all been super creative and they save their money because we, that's another thing, you know, all these kids, when we were first with the big 12, people were like, so do your kids like, you know, dress like Amish children and eat lentils for dinner every day. We're <laughs> like, and no, our kids are very savvy with saving their money because <clears throat> if they want an iPhone or if they want a phone or an iPod or anything, they have to buy it themselves. So they save their money and they do like, I have a 14 year old who's dog walking right now and, you know, and mowing lawns in the summer and until, you know, they're old enough to get the job. And then at almost 16, they get 
they go out and they find jobs and they, you know, they have to either find a job that they can get a ride to, ride their bike, or it has to be local. And they save their money because they want those fancy sneakers or they want, uh, most of them want devices. So it's, but we make them pay for the device and you can pay for the service. We make, when they get a car, they all help all of my children. Um, my number 11 is about to get his license. They've all bought cars by themselves. And again, we have very great community. I always tell people community is key to anything. And people always know if they have a car for sale, someone in the fancy your house will need a car to buy it. And so we've been very blessed with our kids getting really good deals on cars. Now it's the younger kids are getting their older siblings' cars, buying them <laughs> or paying them off or whatever. They've always done used cars, which are great because then, you know, they, they know they're, they, they're so savvy. I have nine sons and they know that boys have, their insurance is more expensive for boys. They know that insurance is more if you have a red car. I mean, they have to figure this all out. So they don't mind driving the bad looking car that, you know, runs great, but looks ugly because it's paid for and they bought it when they were 15 or whatever. And um, yeah, so all of them, like I'm like rolling through my head. Yeah, this one got this one. This one bought this, uh, this used car and the same thing with bikes. And, you know, when you have a great community, it's so fun because people are like, oh, I'm sure a fat singer someone in that house wears size seven fleets or I'm sure someone in that house needs a new 10 speed bike or whatever it is. So our community has been very great. And when the article in Washington post came out about our family, we had just gotten Bradley. So he, baby 14 and some of the, my husband said, don't read the comments. You never read the comments. There's people whose livelihood is on like they call them trolls who just get on these things. And I was up at like three in the morning, you know, feeding this baby, this foster baby's bottle. And of course I started scrolling and the comments were horrible. Like mm -hmm. these people are leeching off community. They're taking couches from people at church and, you know, someone gave them a car and they, they, their kids are wearing shoes that their neighbors gave them. I was like, I'm so sorry that all of you don't have nice friends or nice churches or nice communities in our town. Free cycle and all, you know, Dewey free sale, all those things. People are so kind and loving. And I was like, oh, you horrible people. And they're like, yeah, they're just sucking on society. And I'm like sitting there holding a baby. And they had known he wasn't in the article because we had gotten after the article. And, but they did know that Ray was a foster kid. And they're like, they're just getting, they're just fostering because they want money from the state. And I'm like, well, both our children who we have fostered have been fostered through a Christian program that keeps kids from the state, from state. Social, from the social workers and from the state program. So we weren't getting a penny of any of that money, but these things that people would say were horrible. And it was just so interesting. And all I could think of was like, I'm so sorry that you can't like call or now I, now we text or do it on Facebook. Like, Hey, I have a kid playing basketball. Does anybody have, you know, size seven high tops? And I have five friends be like, Oh yes, thank God. And get these out of my, you know, get these out of my closet or, or yes, someone, you know, gives us a hockey stick or, a, you know, pair of cleats. Like that's just how we all work in our town. When I'm done something, I pass it on, you know, 
we have I have someone today who needs a crib. Well, I have like seven girlfriends at our church who are pregnant. So I'm like, oh, someone else, you know, we'll just kind of all pass things around. And and that's how you stay out of debt too, by not being proud and not being like, I have to have the eight hundred dollar new crib or whatever. So again, community is huge. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with that because you know, I think people do assume and I remember um when I was pregnant with my first. Um, my husband and I used to run the high school youth group at our church and the other adult leader, she had said to me, she, you know, she was already a mom of three. And she said to me, she said, you know, I know it's your first and you're going to want all new things. She says, but let me just encourage you to shop secondhand and accept hand-me-downs. And I remember thinking, never, (laughs) never will my baby wear a hand-me-down and then you get over that real quick because um, I actually was the breadwinner, you know, like my husband worked too, but I made more than he did when I worked, but I always knew I was going to be a stay-at-home mom. So we bought the house based on his salary and, you know, it was in like the same, the same time period that I had our first child, my husband decided that he hated his job and he wanted to, to quit and become a financial advisor, which is great because I I wanted him to love his job because it's a long life if you don't like your job, but it really like, we went from like two really good incomes to like barely anything (laughs) and a new baby. And, you know, you learn very quickly to humble yourself and to buy secondhand and to accept gifts from other people. Um, So I don't even have to ask you. I know you just said, you know, it's, it's really just, that's what you have to do. If you want to have, a big family and really do God's will to raise all these children up in the way that they should go. It does take community. And I think it sounds like you have a really good community, but what do you, what would you say to the woman out there that's listening? Because a lot of what I'm hearing from my, my, the women in my groups is that we are lacking community or that we have strong faith, but we're having a hard time finding women you know, I'm 47, you said you're 55, like, and I still have a seven-year-old as well. So I am still meeting younger moms and things, but most of my friends are from my older kids. So how, like, how does a mom find community yeah. if she doesn't have what you have? It Well, I kind of had the opposite problem because I was 21. So we got married, I got pregnant on honeymoon. None of my friends were even out of college and I was like and everybody in my neighborhood worked so I was the only mom and I really had I I I know it's so hard for people but I because I am a social person and I'm an expert so I found community and I actually had like seven women who were all older than me who it's funny almost all of them had five children and all the fifth child all the all fifth the fifth child in all those women was like a year older than my baby and i just put her in the stroller and walked to their houses or or drove to them and i just i spent so much time with all of them just reaping all their wisdom and knowledge and advice and hand-me-downs and all those things and i can't thank god enough for those women who just fostered me for like the first two or three years of my life. 
my husband and I also kind of have a joke that every couple should start off poor <laughs> because you just depend on God for everything. And my husband, like yours, quit his, changed his job right when we were first married. We had this baby and he, uh, we opened a Christian bookstore okay. and he did work for a year because I had a new, we, um, our baby was six months old when we opened the bookstore and we didn't know at the time I was actually pregnant <laughs> with number two, so much for nursing and spacing your children. <laughs> so I was pregnant with number two. So he knew he had to quit his job as a banker because he was uh, working at a bank. So when I, right before I gave birth to our second child, he had to quit full time and everyone thought we were nuts. They're like, first of all, they opened this Christian bookstore Secondly, they, you know, they got pregnant on their honeymoon and now he's quitting his full-time job and they're going to live off of a book, you know, one income bookstore owner with a new business. Like, and, you know, God works in mysterious ways. I had shared about the, our book coming out, right? Uh, our book contract right before COVID. Well, when we opened the bookstore, little did we know, I mean, it was this little teeny hole in the wall and it was a Christian bookstore that sold Catholic things. And we, we didn't know, of course, nobody knew, but Desert Storm, the war started right after we opened the bookstore. And there was this huge article about how people, when war comes, people turn to their faith and, and funny things that little businesses like Christian bookstores are really booming in their businesses because people are running to get, you know, literature and, you know, St. Michael medals and, going back to God and buying Bibles and like scratching their heads. So we kind of laughed about that. Like who would have thought? And we had a Christian bookstore for 10 years and he subsidized our uh, income by, you know, mowing lawns and doing things like that. And we ended up closing our bookstore because Amazon all of a sudden <laughs> it came out and, you know, who, I mean, we are probably Amazon's biggest fans and, you know, everybody would just order stuff from Amazon, free shipping and comes right to your door. So we stopped the bookstore and um, that was 24 years ago. We had just had our seventh baby and, you know, having your own business is hard with insurance and our vacations and all those things. So he got a job um, kind of working at as an IT guy for a friend and he did that for years and then he did retire at 58. <laughs> and wow yeah I wasn't sure because in the book you talk about that that was your goal was to retire yeah. early um but then the book ends yeah. <laughs> we, don't, we don't know how we don't know how Rob ended up but how so how is that possible that you were able to retire early raise all these kids because when after we closed the bookstore we kept living simply. We didn't live like he actually was getting paid now because <laughs> we teased people. We said when we did have the bookstore, he we got paid twice a year after mm -hmm. First Communion and after Christmas. He would yeah. write checks. He would write the checks, you know, his his pay or whatever once a month or whatever from. But he couldn't cash them because we didn't have the money and the store didn't wasn't making enough money. But at Christmas, after we would make you know, money. And, and again, it was a small Christian bookstore. We did double in size and, and stuff like that, but we still didn't know what the heck we were doing. It wasn't like we ever learned how to run a bookstore. It was just a God thing. And um, 
like everything in our life, how God puts things in your life. And so then he could cash the checks and, you know, after first communion, he would cash all the checks and then we could pay our bills and do things. But we just, when he did get a substantial amount of money in a check every month and vacation and sick leave and all those kind of things. And we had insurance was a huge thing. We had insurance through his work. We just kept living like we had, like we still weren't buying paper towels. We still weren't buying, you know, ice cream and things like that. We still bought, uh, we still looked for, you know, sales on food and meat. And it's funny because when uh, we did get Ray, so um, he had, he, I don't, I think this is in the book. He asked me to come out front and he wanted to talk to me about something. And I was like, what's going on? He's like, he handed me a piece of paper. And I was like, what's this? And I'm, he's like, read it. And I'm reading it. I don't understand. And it was the, he had paid our house off. And we had, you know, had lived here in this foreclosed house. You know, my mom used to always say, like, buy the worst house or the best, the, the best worst house in the nicest neighborhood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we had gotten, and I, both of us live in the same town we grew up in. And there's this one neighborhood that my, even when my mom, had eight children, they wouldn't even let her look at the houses because it was it was more expensive than what they made. You know, there was no such thing in the 60s as buying a house and saying, oh, you can just, you know, don't get a better mortgage. Or it was like, okay, you make this much, you can look at this house or this house. Right. <laughs> and she's like, but I have eight children. What about that? It's called a country club. Or what about the country club? They're like, no, you don't make enough. Do you want a two-door garage or do you want black <laughs> shutters or green shutters? So when we got this foreclosure that was really sad shape, my mom's like, I always wanted one of those houses because it's a really big house and it's great for a big family. And we had just closed our store and we just, like I said, had our seventh child. So we got this great foreclosure and we lived in this neighborhood. And then the neighbor who's a friend of ours is the one who gave my husband his good job working for him. He's like, you got a good, strong work ethic. I know you can create this job and your hard worker and he gave him a chance and he did great. So I'm looking at this piece of paper. I'm like, we've lived here for 12 years. This, what does this mean? Because I saw stuff about the house because I paid the house off and I was like, what? So I was like in shock because again, being the youngest of nine, you know, I grew up with my parents having, you know, God bless our mortgaged home. And then when my parents did pay the house off after years and years and years, it was like, you know, you kill the fatted calf and you have the whole neighborhood over, you know, it's a huge deal to pay your house off. And at first I was like, oh, oh my gosh, you, you pay our house off? And then I got one to, hey, wait a minute. You know, I have been scringing and scrimping and spent 10 minutes at the grocery store wondering if we can afford ground beef or not. And, but then I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And so you know, that's kind of a private thing. Like we teach our kids never to ask, never ask somebody how much money they make or never ask somebody how old they are. I wanted to get a billboard out and tell people (laughs) my husband paid the house off because we had had people looking at us for years, like, oh, you're homeschooling. Oh, you're having another baby. Oh, you're a stay-at-home mom. Like, you know, oh, your poor kids wear hand-me-downs. Like, you know, just, never say it out loud but you know people were like or I think or people would come to me all the time oh I'd love to have another baby but my husband says we can't afford it or I'd love to have another baby but we just bought a new car or I'd love to have another baby but you know we are going on vacation to the the Palmas (laughs) and I was just like my husband 
just paid off our house. Like, do and we have always been a single income home. And you know, and I, I, we had when he paid the house off, we had just got and Ray, so we had twelve kids and a foster baby. And I tell people, you know, who knows what God has in store? I don't think everyone in the world should have. 10 kids. I don't think everyone in the world should homeschool. I don't think everyone in the world can, can, you know, have a, have a spouse that agrees with you. And I don't, I don't have all these like high expectations for other people. I just know what God has asked me to. And I always wanted to have a big family. And I, and we knew from the beginning, even my husband's the oldest of three. So he, he wasn't from a big family. I had a huge extended family. He didn't. He came from a teeny tiny family. You know, nobody in their family had lots of kids. And we teased him all the time. Like, why did you, you know, he's like, I just knew this was the woman God wanted me to marry. Like, why did you want to have all these kids? But he knew that I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. And if that meant I had to use cloth diapers, and if that meant I had to not go to, you know, the Tupperware party or the jewelry party or, you know, the different stages of our 34 years of being married. Like that meant we had to, you know, go to the beach on off season or that meant we had to, you know, drive old cars. I would have done anything to be a stay-at-home mom. I mean, I, <laughs> it's funny because we'll do talks for like engaged couples or stuff. And I always tell people, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to be a mom since I was in second grade. Like that was just inbred in my heart. I wanted to be a mom since I was second grade. I never said anything about wanting to be a wife. Like <laughs> this is a whole different sacrament. Like, and, and my kids now have five married and they say all the time, mom, you always say marriage is a sacrament. Parenting isn't because when both, when we had our first baby, it was like, oh, you're nice, honey, but oh, I have a baby. And even my husband, who didn't wasn't around children, he was like, you're nice, honey, but oh my gosh, she's my blood. Like this baby that we have, like our first baby, we just stared at her for a year. We just thought it was the most amazing thing in the whole world. And it took me many years to learn how to be a good wife. And I, I was very convicted that marriage is a sacrament and parenting isn't. And uh, thanks be to God that, I got, I don't know if it was a talk or a woman or, you know, somebody smacked me silly and said, you know, your husband is your primary, you know, your priority. First comes God, then your husband, then your kids, then your family, then your friends, then all the other things you want to do. And that really was hard because I, you know, was told, you know, you're, 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 taking care of your baby and they're so needy and your husband comes home and you're like, that's nice, but the baby is colicky or I've been, the kids have been crawling on me all day. And it took me a long time to really realize how important my marriage was, how important every, my husband was. And I always talk about it because I feel like so many women get in the same trap I was. So I, I just, I, I knew I needed to be a stay-at-home mom and I was going to do anything I could to be that. So that's why it was easy for me. Um, I do feel like so many women now um, have, and so many couples now have college debt. So you know, it's so hard. It, I just tell people to just work on, you know, trying to get that debt down so that you can fully be embraced whatever God's will is. And 
I tell people when we got a phone call, we someone said, oh, what list were you on to be a foster parent? I'm like, we weren't on a list. I had a two-year-old, my 12th child. I had just had a miscarriage. We got a phone call from a friend at the Gabriel Network saying, hey, there's this baby who needs someone to help him out for you know three to six months while the mom gets situated. Are you guys interested? And I, I, I said, let me call you right back. I talked to Rob and he said, of course. Of course we will. Of course we'll help out. Now, would he have said that if we were drowning in debt? Would he have said that if we could barely put shoes and clothes on our own children? So who would have thought that our simple way of living and our frugal lifestyle um, and our mindset of living with our means helped us to be open to having another child? Or I tell people being willing to being able to tithe for things that are important to you or being open to life, maybe, you know, being open to helping others. It's, you know, it's definitely a tricky situation now because we got married, we didn't have that. But I would say 90% of couples who get married now are in debt, whether it's from school or from a lifestyle that they got used to living. Yeah, I agree. And um, it's funny, so much of what you're saying is my own story because when I was little, I wanted to be a mom and a wife. Like that's all I wanted to be. And I went to a, a very good all girls Catholic high school and they were very much like, you can be a lawyer, you can be a Senator, you can be this, you can be anything you want to be. And so I used to say in high school that I wanted to be a lawyer or something because I thought that was the acceptable answer, but really I wanted to be a mom and a wife. And I think um, the thing I love about your story that, I, I always talk to with my, like, especially like my budgeting clients is, and you and Rob talk about it in the book is your big why, or like your dream big. And just how you're talking about, like, you would, you said, I would do anything to be a stay at home mom. And I think that's what it takes. Like for those of you listening out there, like when I say, what's your big why, this is what I'm talking about. Like, it needs to be so important to you that everything else just falls away wouldn't you agree with that sam yes and that's you know the title of the book was you know spending less so you can live more people ask about like well, what's that mean and over the years of us giving talks or you know podcasts or whatever zoom meetings we mm -hmm. have met lots of people who have done this in different ways so my uh i spent less on clothes and um and things in, in groceries and stuff so I could be a stay-at-home mom. We've had people who I'm going to homeschool my kids so that we can eat organically, which is a really interesting thing because it's really expensive to eat healthy. And we've had people like I'm going to um, uh, this one couple, like their, their school is about to start. They were paying for Catholic school for their three kids and their van broke down. And she said it was either school or a van. We couldn't do both. So we had, and we needed a car. So we decided to homeschool. And it was like, what a gift that was. Who would have thought we love homeschooling so much? And I had another friend who homeschooled her four kids because their kids are all like really great athletes and they wanted them to go to these really great uh, high schools. And Catholic high school around here is crazy expensive so they decide instead of sending them to the private elementary school we're going to homeschool them it changed their entire life 
They, they are four little kids. They were homeschooling. She says, my friend said to me, why didn't you tell me? This is so amazing. She's like, we have dinners together. The kids are outside all day before they were stuck in school seven hours a day. You know, they're outside getting fresh air. They're playing sports. There's no hours and hours of homework. There's no stress getting them out in the house in the morning. Now, again, I'm not saying everyone should homeschool. And we put two of our kids in school a couple years ago because I had just had it and we're, they're homeschooled again. And I'm like, oh, I forgot how much I love this. Or I didn't realize how much, you know, the, the, the school they were in was like the best Catholic school in the, I would say the state. It was amazing. And they learned so much. But again, they were gone nine hours a day. And so it was a lot of stress on us and on them. And, you know, homeschooling has been great now. But I mean, I have lots of friends who kids go to, you know, different types of schools and they're great. So I'm not saying everyone in the world should homeschool, but just interesting, like how much money people are like, oh, how can you do this? I'm like, well, we don't, you know, we homeschool. So that saves us a lot of money. And it also is a big reason why our kids pay off pay for their own school because they work their tails off all year round and save their money to, to buy a car, to pay for insurance, to buy a phone, pay for their phone service, you know, pay for what gas. You, I mean, we're the worst. We don't pay for anything unless they're doing something for yeah, us. I'll pay for I, think, I think it's great. Um, how did you guys handle extracurricular activities? Were your kids able to participate in things like that or yes. how did you pay for that kind of stuff? Did the kids pay for their own activities? So um, the older kids paid for a lot of their things. Um, our younger kids, we have done it because for some of them. Now, again, it, God is so good. I just remember my my fourth son was, they're, they're all really good athletes, and I have nine boys. So my fourth son was going to play on this soccer team. And I don't know if somebody told the coach, you know, that family <laughs> – do you know about this family? Or I don't know if he did this for everybody, but it was the greatest thing that ever happened. Right before tryouts, he called me and he said, so Ms. Satzinger, uh, sounds like your son's a good fit for our team. I just want you to know up front that, you know, this is how much the fee is. You know, it was like $600, which is a lot, but it was worth it for this special team. And this particular son, we decided, you know, needed to be on this. He was good enough, this travel team. He's like, but I want you to know that here are the additional costs that happen throughout the year. We go on two tournaments. Each tournament will cost you between two and four hundred dollars. And that's before you have to, you know, and they're far away. So you're gonna have to, you know, I wasn't about to send my kid overnight for the weekend in New York with somebody I didn't know. So we would have to go there, get a hotel, like all the things. And we also do this, and we also have this fee. And I just want you to know up front. And I was like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. I just gave birth to my ninth child and I'm not proud about telling people how many kids I have because I think they need to realize like I'm not just being some chintzy mean mom but like I can't travel I just, we have all these little kids and I, and I can't afford all these extra fees thank you so much for letting us know and our son he was fine with it and he actually turned out to be a great uh, athlete because he had to play on his older brother's team because we couldn't go to two different practices and two different games and 
and we found a, a team that was local and who we could, you know, carpool with other friends and things like that. And it worked out great. <laughs> and so he's not scarred for life. He's not sitting in some counselor chair somewhere. And our other kids, we would do uh, a lot similar activities, like things that were close by, things with friends in our teens. We, again, the community is great. We have a really great community that has a big swim team program that you, know, you pay for family and the big um, cross country team. So our a lot of our other kids don't do a lot of stuff because they chose not to. Um, I think they saw that, you know, it was great and hype, the hype is up there, but then do I really want to be out this many nights a week or whatever? So I, I also think a dad needs to kind of take that over and uh, or the parent who loves it. We have a homeschooling friends down the street who have eight kids and the dad is the coach. Well, they're older. The kids are getting older now. But when the kids were all little, he was the commissioner of the soccer league. And he also was the coach of two of the five kids at the time who were playing sports. So he could figure out when he can make sure the the practices were close at the same time or you know nearby if they weren't and he could make sure the kids had games at certain times they didn't miss mass and he could do it so that was his wife she's like our kids can do these travel soccer things but you have to be the one to navigate all of this mm-hmm. so again if a father or one parent really wants their kid to be like a professional swimmer or a professional whatever then you know you just that you spend less in one area so you can spend more in the other area. Yeah, I I agree totally. Um, I love that you said like your kids are not going to end up in the therapist chair because they couldn't do a travel soccer team. Um, what In your book, you said um, it hasn't been all rainbows and unicorns. Any goal, be it financial or otherwise, requires self-discipline and commitment and involving involves making choices, sometimes hard choices, about how to get the life you want to have. So what was, what was one of the hardest choices you've had to make as a mom, um, as far as money goes, like maybe a time that you had to say no to a child or no to yourself or like what kind of sacrifices, um, could you give us as an example that you got through? Yeah. Um, I, I think the interesting thing too, and a bunch of my friends after the book was written said their favorite part, because they knew us, their favorite part was the kid's what the kids had to say. Um, mm-hmm. I think some of the hardest parts were like, no to you guys having like the fancy vacations or again, we just talked about sports. So that was really hard. Um, it, I, I knew I wanted, we laughed. I wanted to be a stay at home mom. I didn't want to be a mom driving carpool all over the world. Our kids falling asleep in the car and kids eating dinner in the car and kids, you know, missing family dinners. And so that was probably a huge sacrifice, a huge sacrifice, again, was the sports, because we had to make some big, hard decisions about, you know, the Sunday sports or the, the or, you know, some of our kids did play on some leagues that did Sunday, but what time were they or our kids weren't allowed to play football because it was five nights a week and two hours a night and games on Sunday. And we just had to say no. And God has literally given each of my kids who had to make that sacrifice to a, a gift. I could go on and on for hours about that, but um, we have a son 
um, it, but but when I say like it might not have even been a financial sacrifice, but like an emotional sacrifice. Like again, I homeschool my kids. I love being with my kids. We had a son who wanted to play on one of these fancy teams, and the only way he could was if he was on this the team of this man who coached down who lived down the street from us. So he could take him to the practices. He could take him to the games because it was a travel. So it was like some games were like an hour away. And it's funny because some of my other kids were like, why wasn't I allowed to do that? And I'm like, because you didn't have a Mr. Smith down the street who took you to all your practices and all your games. And it was hard because I wanted to be there to cheer him on. Like I still sometimes like I hear people like, oh, thanks to my dad who never missed a game in my whole life. <laughs> and I'm like, that was just a, a, the kids knew if you wanted to play this particular sport or this particular thing, like mom's not going to be able to be there. I have, you know, three toddlers. <laughs> <laughs> three toddlers a nursing baby and I'm pregnant you know or whatever it was really hard but the kids to this day like my older kids are like so grateful that they have siblings they're so um, financially savvy all my kids are so responsible I mean you know they're not perfect and it was kind of kind of interesting um, I was thinking today uh, we just came off of a really big high from this weekend. My son, my fifth child got married, my eighth, my eighth child, but my fifth getting married. That's how I say this. And it was so amazing. And he married an amazing uh, Catholic woman. And he, they both are focused missionaries and they're so great. But with all good things, you know, the devil is out to, <laughs> to ruin things and make your family, you know, stress out and I don't have perfect children. I have, you know, after COVID, some of them stopped going to church. And I mean, so I don't want people to look and say, oh, they have 14 kids and they're so holy. And they're so wonderful. I'm like, oh no, let me tell you. <laughs> Someone <laughs> said a co-op the other day because I have my two youngest are in co-op. It's fun because they're in co-op with their nieces and nephews because my, my uh, four oldest grandchildren are in the same homeschool co-op. So it's kind of fun. Um, but I was there and a lady said to me, oh, I saw your daughter Cecilia in adoration the other day. Oh, she's so sweet and so holy. Oh, I hope my children grow up to be as holy as she is. And I looked at her and I was like, listen, <laughs> I have three kids that I know right now are in good shape. But the other ones are all like, I'm on my knees. Like, this is not like I am not going to tell you that my life is perfect. So we come off of this wedding weekend. We're all just so happy and so excited. And my husband and I get in this huge fight. And I'm like, I'm so glad that I'm going on this podcast because I say to people all the time, like marriage is the hardest thing I have in my life. Like I have an amazing husband. We have a great marriage, but it's hard. It is so hard. And I, I remember bumping into this woman at church and she, um, I asked her, I'm like, how you doing? And she's like, oh, I'm not doing that great. My marriage is on the rocks. And I look at all these wonderful couples at church and I wonder, what am I doing wrong? Lord, what did I do wrong? And I looked at her and I'm like, listen, marriage is the worst. It is so hard. I was like, my husband and I, I mean, we're celebrating, you know, 33, this was like a year ago, 33 years of marriage, and it's still touch and go. Like, we just got this huge fight. And she looked at me, and she just welled up in tears, and she's like, thank you so much for telling me that. She goes, I just think you guys are so perfect, and you don't have any problems. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, the devil is after us. The devil's after my children. 
I was like, we, 99% of our arguments are all misunderstandings. Like, and now we're old and it's like, we can't hear each other. <laughs> He's like, where is, where's Ray? And I'm like, I told you, Ray is down the street. Like, didn't you hear me? He's like, no, I didn't hear you. Or he's like, or I'll be like, can you take this out for dinner? And I'm like, why didn't you take this out for dinner? And he's like, I didn't hear you. I was like, oh, great. Here we've been married 34 years. You'd think it'd get easier. But now we have all this other added things that we can't hear each other and we can't see each other. <laughs> but it is just so hard. And I am, you know, I am so grateful for the sacrament. And actually, that was the book I wanted to write. A book about only through the grace of God in the sacrament of marriage am I still married. Like there aren't any good Catholic books out there about marriages that are really hard because they're all by these couples that either had major infidelity or, you know, horrible things happen or these great couples that, oh, we are so happy. We love, we're in love and we never have any trouble. I'm like, we need some honesty here. We need one from a couple who like didn't have huge horrible problems, but still every day I have to say yes, and die to myself. My son, who's getting married, we were at, he's, so last week before he was married, we were at my kid's basketball game and one of my girlfriend's daughters was there. <clears throat> and she goes, look at my tattoo. This is the only tattoo my mom likes. And she goes, my mom, when we got married, wrote on a card that everybody gave us advice on. And she said, be nice, love mom. Aww. And I got all these advice from all these couples about you know don't go to bed angry and do this and do this and she goes and all those people who wrote me sentences and sentences of advice about marriage all have are now divorced or left their husbands or the husbands left them she goes the only person who gave me the best advice is still married and that's my mom so I have this tattooed on my arm it says be nice love mom so I said Dominic give me your hand and I took an ink pen and I said be dead love mom <laughs> oh said, yeah it's like God. die to yourself every single day your wife is your life and you need to just die to your own wants and your own desires and you know all these things. <laughs> so they're all my kids are like mom that's horrible i can't you said can't believe you said be dead be dead that's a horrible thing to say i'm like no constantly i have to every hour of the day and now my husband's retired so he's home all the time i have to <laughs> die to myself Every minute, keep my mouth shut, bite my tongue. I'm like, you want to see the stitches on my tongue? All the times I've bit my tongue. And it's it's just a crazy advice, but people need to realize that marriage is really hard. And Satan is after our marriages and our kids because if they can ruin marriages, they ruin families. Yeah. And, uh, so it's, it's like, like, it's like anything, you know, what's the best way to bring something down? Do it from within. Yep. And that's, that's what my husband feels the same. I always think like, from like, if I follow you now on Instagram and stuff, I always think like your husband and my husband would probably be friends because like, they seem like sporty and yeah. athletic. They're both finance guys and, yep. you know, got these crazy Catholic wives. But um, yeah, I, I do. We, you know, we feel like we're under attack all the time. And I always say to my husband, I said, you're such a good leader. Like, of course he wants to take you down, you know? Yep. And knowing you're in the battle is half of the half of the advice I give. It's like knowing mm -hmm. that this is actually out there. Um, yeah. Father, I mean, Monsignor, maybe Shay, he was the priest who gave the talk at the focus conference this past um, this past year, and he came out of nowhere. Like he was this, you know, he wasn't Father Mike Schmidt or all these fancy speakers, and 
every one of my kids who was at the focus conference and said, this priest got a standing ovation. Everyone is saying this is the best talk they've ever heard. And he also just gave the talk at the March for Life in Washington, D.C. He was the keynote speaker homilist. And everybody was just like, oh, my gosh. In his talk at the Sikh conference, he said, I am called the Good Friday priest. I'm the one who comes out and tells you the bad news. Because I don't want to be the Good Friday priest. I want to be the Holy Thursday priest. But no, I have to tell you, we're in a battle. Satan is after you. And he must have hit a nerve because you had, you know, 30,000 college students giving him a standing ovation because, and he's the president of um, University, University of, of Mary in like South Dakota or something. And he is like the new priest on the t like the speaker thing, obviously. Like, he went from Sikh to the Washington DC March for Life talk. And he is so amazing, but he talks right to the heart. He's like, listen, we are under attack. And if you want to save yourselves and your families and your soul, you need to know who you're battling against. Yeah. I'll have to look him up. I haven't, I haven't heard of him yet. Yeah. I think um, that he's got a lot of talks on YouTube too. I think the focus, a lot. I, you can get the focus talks for free, but you have to like sign up for something. But I think a lot of them are on YouTube. Okay. Focus 20, uh, 2024 conference it just was last month or yeah a couple weeks ago okay i'll put that in the show notes you guys for those of you who are interested all right sam one last question um i'm loving all this and i really hope you write the book on marriage as a sacrament <laughs> and you we were just talking about you right now i have a, a six-week course going on and we were just talking about you on sunday night and i something about marriage came up and I, you had just posted on Instagram, marriage is a sacrament. Motherhood is not. And that like hit me so hard. I was like, Oh, so we were talking about that in our group the other night. So I said, you guys are going to love her when she comes on the podcast. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, so yeah, write the book. I would definitely like buy that in a heartbeat, but I wanted to finish up this interview today with um, just give us, give us your daily habits. Like, how do you show up in in the armor every day? Like, how do you do it every day? Yeah. Like, what do you um, I like? tell people, I tell people, again, I live in a great town and I have like three or four Catholic churches within like five to 15 minutes of me. Um, I have been going to daily mass since I was 16. <laughs> and daily mass is my oxygen. Um during covid i literally almost had like a nervous breakdown like the rest of the world um because masses weren't happening in in maryland and i just literally i didn't realize how much <laughs> i was how much that was happening I, I i kind of my body shut down i had a really hard time during covid and um it when masses start happening again i mean i was just like oh finally it's like i literally was needed jesus you know, yeah, I was doing daily mass on TV. It was ridiculous. I mean, just like everybody else. But, um, you know, different seasons in our life, you know, pregnant and nursing and little babies. I mean, I've had, sometimes I had to go to 6.30 mass when they were all sleeping. Sometimes uh, I'd have to take them all to mass at a certain church because that was a certain good time of the day or 
uh, they had a cry room or, um, you know, I'd have uh, my husband, you know, like I said, if it was concerning mass, he, he, the kids were all usually sleeping and he was home with them. We would take turns. Um, so now uh, I have older kids and um, I still get to daily mass and I bring them some a couple times a week. But, you know, when I, when my husband was working full time and I had no other choice, I had to bring them all with me. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that was really hard. And, but as homeschoolers, it kind of worked well because we'd actually have to get up and brush our teeth and brush our hair and get dressed. Yeah. So it was kind of like first period, you know, all yeah. my friends were getting their kids packed up to go to school. And I was just like, we're packing up and going to mass. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it helped us a lot. And it was, it was, but it was really hard. I remember one day getting to church in the, in the winter and I, I got there like just at the nick of time and I looked at the pastor and I'm like, do I get extra credit? Cause like we all have on gloves and we didn't get, <laughs> we weren't late and I had to get zip them all up. And, and he just laughed at me, you know, and sometimes some churches are more work better for families than others. Um, like I said, I know lots of people don't have the opportunity to go to daily mass, but I really had no excuse. I mean, I had four churches that had 6.30 mass, 8.45 mass, 8 o'clock mass, 9, ma- 9 o'clock mass, and a noon mass. So, I mean, it just was my jam. And it's just what I had to do to keep me, and again, to get me out of the house, get my right. teeth brushed, get my clothes on, because I am definitely the homeschool mom who would be like, oh, it's dinner. We're all still in our pajamas. Okay. But um so that, you know, and you just have to do what works for your family. So again, I'm not telling everybody they have a bunch of kids and they have to come school and they have to go to daily mass, but that's how we did it. Um, I also have used different devotionals in the morning. Again, I, I'm a morning person, so it's easy for me to say, you know, I do my prayer time in the morning. Um, use, I used to do it with a nursing baby um, or I do it before the kids get up. I used to have a blanket I'd throw over my head. <laughs> if they started coming down in the morning and I was still trying to pray, I'm like, don't talk to me right now. I'm with Jesus. Trust me. If I don't get this Jesus time, your day is going to be miserable. Um, or I'd have a teacup in my hand. And mommy puts this teacup down. I'm, I'm all yours. I don't drink coffee. So my teacup was really important to me. But the kids would learn certain things. Oh, mom's candle's on. Just, you know, go play in the playroom. I'd have, you know, Sometimes with little babies, I'd have toys that I would just pull out for them. You know, I'm a grandma now. I have 13 grandchildren, so I don't have to do that anymore, and I get to have my morning time. Um, but um, Daniel Bean has a book with Elizabeth Foss on um, for, for moms. It's called like Daily Moments for Moms. I used that book for years. Now I use uh, Lisa Brennick Meyer's Be Still book. Um, for my daily devotion and I not only do I use that I ponder on it and do the she has a, like a bible verse for every day and I'll go and I'll like delve into that sometimes that book is open till you know, four in the afternoon because I didn't finish it but I am indefinitely in a different state in life I mean my youngest is seven and he would sleep till 10 if I let him so um but I remember you know being pregnant and nursing and you know, life was really rough with the last little kids and my husband would be working and I, but now he worked from home. So I hate giving people advice now because I live such a different life. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, those are some things that, you know, imitation of Christ, something you could just pick up. And now podcasts, I mean, I have a podcast circuit and um, 
So, and I work at I, something I do now that I didn't do in the beginning years. So I just, you know, working out has really helped a lot with the stress. Um, but again, whether it's at a gym or in your house or something, there's so much free stuff now you can mm-hmm. get. Um, that's great. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I know I'm always trying to convince the younger mommies to um, get up before their kids and really get that prayer time in. And I'm the same. I love the image of the blanket over your head that it sends to your kids, like mommy's praying. And, you know, I, 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 I was, you know, my baby is seven, but I do remember those like tense moments in the morning where you're not sure when the first kid was going to wake up. And it's like a little bit stressful when you're trying to pray. And I think if I had taught my kids some sort of, um, signal like that that would have been really helpful so yeah and something we did again this is not for everybody I have a girlfriend now who's 10 kids and I think for years she felt guilty because they didn't do this I'm like stop like you do you like I am a morning person she is a night person Mm -hmm. um and I we put our kids to bed early uh we started doing that when they were little and that was a game changer because we had I was pregnant with my fifth kid and we had four kids under like nine <laughs> and, and for what, and I was so tired all the time. And so I, at like seven at night, I was like falling asleep at, you know, and I, my poor husband was trying to put, you know, four little kids to bed. And so we started putting our kids to bed, like at 7 PM. Mm-hmm. It was a game changer to our marriage <laughs> because then it was a game changer to our bedtime routine because I wasn't, tired and I was like snapping at them because they wanted water or another book or wanted me to rub their back because I was still human at some mm-hmm. point <laughs> but we were before we were put in bed like at 8 30 and he was like 9 15 before my husband and I got even like close to getting us ready for bed and it was just so good for our marriage and not only that like we could do date night because the kids were asleep like we weren't asking somebody else to watch four kids under <laughs> under like seven or eight or oh my gosh like I just remember that I look at my friends now getting their kids out of church or the car or whatever and I'm like oh my gosh is that what I used to look like like pregnant with all these little kids I'm like what a nightmare no wonder people always would come up to me and say stuff like oh my god are they all yours and I'm like oh now I know why but really you just have to do work what's best for you and with community we you had asked that question like build the community if you because I had to have things happen at my house because I knew that my kids would be napping. So I'd have, I'd have a couple women over or I'd have to do like Bible studies or book studies or mom's nights out or, or play groups at my house because I knew I couldn't, I didn't have to drive anywhere. Um, and it's, it's really good to learn hospitality. So if you don't have a community, find one or build one or ask your pastor if you can do a mom's group or if you can do whatever. So, and, and people can message me on Instagram or Facebook. Um, I love connecting with people because I love sharing the survival. <laughs> I'm in a survival yeah. mode here. We need it. And, you know, that's, I think that um, when we moved to where we live in Pennsylvania, we are, so my in-laws are from Maryland and my parents are from outside Philadelphia, but we're 45 minutes from my parents and about two and a half hours from my in-laws. And I didn't really think that through when we bought this house and we settled into this area. And I think um, in hindsight, it would have been nice to have more of a family community, but it's okay. I built, you know, I did mom's clubs. I did mops. Yeah. Um, 
So you gotta, you gotta do it. You gotta find something that works for you. And yeah. like I said, if you don't have it, then make it. Yeah, I love that. I did actually, when I was, um, we actually lost a child to leukemia. Um, and it's really like, I was, a, I was a cradle Catholic, but I think until you really go through something hard, you really, you know, it's like, it, it, the rubber hits the road. Like you either believe this stuff that you've heard your whole life or you don't, you know, and I decided I'm going all in on the trust with this one. And uh, maybe about a year after he died and um, I sent an email to 10 women and I said, you're, you're receiving this email because either I know you're Catholic or I'm pretty sure you're Catholic. I said, I want to grow in my faith. Who's coming with me? And I had one woman that said, it's not my thing. And nine women that showed up and they're like, yeah, let's do this. And we did it for three years. Good job. Yeah. Every month we did it. And they are still some of like my best friends. In fact, I got my best friend from that group because she was brought, you know, friends of friends came and it kind of grew over the years. And um, she's now the, her and her husband are the godparents of my youngest daughter. And like, it's just been a wonderful experience. And you You got to swallow the pride and go for it. You You do. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that because I think a lot of women are just kind of waiting around for a best friend to show up on their front door or the right community to just kind of land in their lap. And I think sometimes it's the Holy Spirit saying, I need you to do this. Like if it's not there. Yeah. And social media is great, but it's not, you know, it's not real all the time. (laughs) And I have, you know, I've met some great people and have some great friends from, um you know instagram and facebook and all that met met some connections but it's nothing like borrowing a couple sugar from a real person down the street so Mm -hmm. just really get out of your comfort zone and or be christ to that person who is home by themselves and doesn't have any community doesn't have to be catholic you know there could be somebody who just is looking who also needs community Mm -hmm. very true all right, Sam. Well, thank you so much for your time. I love it. My pleasure. I'm going to say goodbye. And everyone, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you? Do you want people to follow you on yeah. Instagram? Yeah. Okay. So I'm on Instagram. I'm Sam JMJ. Um, and then on, on Facebook, I'm Sam Lancaster Fastener. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Sam. All right. All right. Have a great day. You too.